This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Let's just do it. Kimberly's got things to do. She needs that two minutes. Places to go, people to see, things to do. I am Kimberly (laughs) Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rosdahl. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. We're going to do the news as we usually do, then share a couple of Make Me Smiles. Technically, actually, it's one Make Me Smile, but it's a doozy. But it's amazing. It is a bleeping humdinger. Holy cow. Uh, (laughs) We will start, though, with the news. Uh, Ms. Adams, you get to go first. Sure. I'm just going to follow up on what I was talking about last week regarding, you know, the challenges of rebuilding in the aftermath Mm -hmm. of these terrible, terrible natural disasters uh, like Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Fiona and the just fact that climate change is making these natural disasters, hurricanes in particular, worse, uh, more they're happening more often. And they're going to continue to get worse for the foreseeable future if you believe the vast majority of scientists. So I subscribe to this newsletter from Pointer, um, which is sort of a journalism and media criticism uh, website. But there's and, a and training, very – And training. We should say that And too, training. Right? training. Yes, they and training. training. Yeah. Yes. And there's a very thoughtful piece today from Al Tompkins about – Oh, yeah. You know, how we make the decisions as a country about when we should rebuild in hurricane-prone areas. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly interesting because Pointer's headquarters is in St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. Florida. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the folks from there had to evacuate for this hurricane. And it, you know, is forcing a lot of these people who train journalists all over the country to think about how we talk about when we just need to let places go. And who has the option to let it go and who doesn't? Who can afford to leave? Who can afford to keep rebuilding? And how much of taxpayer dollars, because this is real, should go towards continuously rebuilding in places we know are going to get destroyed again, whether it be wildfires, whether it be flooding, whether it be hurricanes and wind damage? And it's a very long piece with a lot of really interesting um, resources and statistics that are are thoughtful. And it reminded me as I was reading it of um, when I was young, I was living in St. Louis during the flood of 1993, right? Which at the time mm-hmm. we thought was just like the worst. And I was, you know, maybe like 10, 11 years old or something like that. And I remember going down to the arch and my mother taking me down and, and seeing the water come mm. all the way up and almost to the arch. Oh, wow. But one of the oh, things wow. that happened in that flood was that the Army Corps of Engineers kind of had to make some tough decisions about what areas to allow flooding in order to save the city and to save various communities. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably going to get the exact details wrong, but basically some rural areas, particularly farmland, were just allowed to flood to stop major flooding from getting into the cities. Mm Some of those areas never unflooded, and it just stayed that way, and they became wetlands, and there were places where there used to be houses, and there used to be shops that now aren't anymore, 
it's just kind of part of marshlands and wetlands and part of the river. Hmm. And it was just sort of a decision that was made that these places were not going to be reclaimed. And it's easy to do that when you're talking about relatively low-income Midwestern farmers, I guess. But when you're talking about, you know, retirees in Florida who, you mm -hmm. know, have a big lobbying presence or people who are really wealthy and building on beaches and they have their oceanfront property, they want to keep rebuilding over and over again. And the question becomes, how much longer is everyone else going to pay for it? And how much longer are insurance companies going to insure it yeah. and make it yeah. affordable? Because a lot of the people who had to evacuate, who've lost their homes, even if they get some support from the government, they may still not be able to afford to rebuild or want to. And there's a... There have been so many amazing stories coming out of uh, the aftermath of the hurricane of people really doing heroic things for their friends and family and neighbors. There's this guy the Washington Post wrote about who swam half a mile to rescue his mother in a Oof, flooding house. Wow. She was wheelchair bound and he literally had to swim to her to get her out of her house to save her life. Um, mm. But there's a piece in The New Yorker about uh, – these people who stayed in place during the hurricane and they were in an apartment and some of the folks in the lower levels ended up taking shelter with people in like on the second or third floor. But then mm. at one point they ended up having to rescue this family on a lower level. And the neighbors kind of got together to get out the father, the mother, the baby, the toddler, pulling them out through windows attached to ropes and things like that in the midst of the hurricane. And what jumped out to me about this piece was the very end of it, where uh, the main character they're profiling was talking about all the people who did survive. And as we know, more than 100 people did not. And he yeah. says, they're going to be looking for new places to live he went on referring to the survivors, apartments won't be available. I don't know what to do. He was sure yeah. of one thing. I no longer want waterfront views, he said. I've seen enough of it. Right. I'm okay. Right. Right. Uh, I think um, what happened in St. Louis in 93 may well happen in parts of the west coast of Florida. It may just be that this time is different. I don't know. I was I looking know. at some Seems of those like it, images, and I don't know if all that water is going to recede. Well, that, yeah, we're, yeah, that's exactly it, right? And there's apparently there was a high tide today, and it came back in, and, you know, Fort Myers Beach again got swamped, and, yeah. <clears throat> so, that, sorry, so that's, so that's one thought on what you just said. The other one is that it's not just here. Dia Hadid did a great story this morning on Morning Edition. After mm -hmm. the flooding in Pakistan. Oh, Pakistan, uh, yeah. Uh, after the, the glacier melt because of climate change and the rains and all this jazz. And sh apparently there's this sort of inland sea. That's probably too big. But it's a ginormous lake in the middle of Pakistan because of this flooding that they had. And she went around and just talked to these people who have set up sort of communities on rooftops and this and that. And it was amazing. And it was all about climate change. Um, and this is, this is now not our long-term future. It's our like today future. You know, and I think you're right. I think a lot of that water in 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 Fort Myers and Western Florida is not going away on the West Coast. I've been really surprised at the assumption that the water is going to go away. And mm -hmm. I think my 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 experience growing up and watching that flood in '93 really shapes that 
because the water doesn't always go away. These kinds of storms yeah. and this kind of flooding can change geography. And sure, you can pump the water out, but once the geography, I guess I should say topography in this case, is yeah. changed so severely, sometimes the water just doesn't go away. Yep. Yep. And that may be here. Okay. I think that's exactly right. Uh, all right. Total change of gears. Uh, mine's more of an FYI than a than an actual news item. I'm I'm sure some of you have seen or will see or saw over the weekend some uh, uh, conversation about the distress over Credit Suisse, the big uh, Swedish financial institution, and how we're having a Lehman Brothers moment. That if you remember Lehman Brothers from 2008 and the financial crisis and Lehman going under, which was really the tipping point into the worst of the economic ramifications of that financial crisis. Um, I am here to tell you and just just, just Wait, bring this I'm up. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was a vegetable this weekend. I don't know this story. Can you give me a bit more of the so, background? Sure. So the CEO of Credit Suisse uh, came out uh, on Friday after uh, there were some reports that the company – unfounded, it turns out, reports that the company was having a liquidity crisis. Uh, and was under, under some real um, swaps pressure, right? Credit default swaps, those things we heard about during the financial crisis, which is basically the cost of ensuring your relationship with Credit Suisse. That gathered all gathered gathered momentum all weekend, and there was lots of conversation as things opened up in Europe today about Credit Suisse being a Lehman Brothers moment, and shares were down 12%, and people were worried about the cost of ensuring their relationships with Credit Suisse. That's not happening. So I just want to make sure that everybody knows as bad as the global economy is, and it is very bad, inflation's double digits in Europe, it's very high here, economies are slowing, China's slowing, Europe's slowing, the UK is slowing, everybody's slowing down. Global economy is not great, but we are not, repeat, not in a Lehman Brothers moment. And I just want to make sure everybody mm -hmm. understands that, right? Lehman Brothers, September of 2008. It goes under the biggest bankruptcy. I talked about this the other day. The biggest bankruptcy in the history of the United States. I was going to say you were just talking States. about this the other day. Just got resolved, actually. Yeah, that last that last uh, um, uh, trustee um, hearing just got resolved this past week. So, bad as that was, this is not that. And if you think this is that, don't. Just relax. Everybody, everybody, just calm down. The global economy is bad. It's not. It's not that bad. And I just want to make sure everybody knows that because that's my job on this podcast, as I see. It. Anyway. Anyway, I feel a little bad. I ranted uh, for like six minutes, and you were just like, "Here's uh, my well, quick point." <laughs> as, as we know, I'm I'm a person of far fewer words than most. I just, you know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. AKA that's Kimberly's long-winded. <laughs> Time yeah, for or I just I'm, I'm too I'm too short-spoken. All right. Anyway, Juan Carlos, hit it. All right, you go. Because this I great, spoke so long earlier, I'm going to let you no, no, take no, this no, one. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's great. It's amazeballs. <laughs> go ahead. So shout out to Anthony Michael Kreese, a law professor at Georgia State Law, who flagged this amazing amicus brief before the Supreme Court. So today was the first day back in session for the Supreme Court, first day for new Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson worth noting for sure. Mm -hmm. However, itself, yeah. th this was an amicus brief filed by the satirical news website, The Onion, in defense of parody under the First Amendment. Now, 
of the many, many cases that the Supreme Court is looking at this term. Several of them have to do with freedom of speech. Several of them have to do with big tech and Section 230. This particular case is, what is it, Novak versus the city mm-hmm. of Parma, Ohio, mm-hmm. Kevin Riley and mm-hmm. Thomas O'Connor. Anyway, it's going to relate to sort of this uh, tech and freedom of speech issues. Doesn't matter. The point being that The Onion filed an amicus brief that is just parody completely satire from beginning to end. And it's hilarious. Like, I don't even know which of these gems to pull out because it's it looks exactly like any other legal brief. It's literally on the Supreme Court's website where they put yep. all of the amicus briefs. And it's so funny. It's it's amazing. So so here's here's the paragraph where the onion lays out. You have to you have to say when you file an amicus brief in the Supreme Court, you have to explain to the justices or their clerks more accurately why you should be allowed to weigh in, why you should be allowed an official say in this courtroom hearing. And so under the heading "Interests of the Amicus Curiae," the Onion is the world's leading news publication, offering highly acclaimed, universally revered coverage of breaking national, international, and local news events. Rising from its humble beginnings as a print newspaper in 1756, the Onion now enjoys a daily readership of. 4.3 trillion and has grown into the single most powerful and influential organization in human history. And it goes on in that vein. What's really interesting is that later in this briefing, they go through sort of the structure of parody and it's amazing. It's so crisp and it's so clear and it's so, oh my God, this is genius. Just whoever wrote this. Oh my Chef's God. kiss. Let me just read the yeah, table of right. contents. So yeah. you have the interest of the amicus curiae, which Kai just talked about, the introduction and the summary of argument, the argument, and then the subsections of the argument include, number one, parody functions by tricking people into thinking that is real. Subsection two, because parody mimics the real thing, it has the unique capacity to critique the real thing. Subsection 3. A reasonable reader does not need a disclaimer to know that parody is parody. <laughs> Subsection 4. It should be obvious that parodists cannot be prosecuted for telling a joke with a straight face. It's great. It's just so great. I, I, I do fear, though, I do fear that the humor in this will be lost on the current justices. I, you know? Oh, I hope not. So do I. So do I. We'll put it on the show page. It's it's really, really good. And it's it's so chef's kiss, as Kimberly said. If you've so never good. read a legal brief, this is the one to read. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. We're uh, we're going to go out on that high note with the ending tomorrow. Okay. So, look, we're going to talk about the protests in Iran. We'll talk about mm-hmm. um, what happened. We'll talk about what's happening now, right, because there were developments over the weekend. Um, and we're going to talk some about some of the social and economic um, forces behind those demonstrations and where things might go from here. Because this... Um, look, this isn't me talking. This is this is analysts I've read. They say it's a very, very big, potentially game-changing deal. So we'll see. Don't know. Don't know. Yeah, some of the images and, and videos I've seen of Iranian women just like confronting men on the street are just unlike anything I've I've seen out of that country in my at least my time sort of yeah. following what's been yeah. going on in the Middle East for sure. 
Um, so, yes, please, if you have questions about it, let us know. Yeah. You can yeah, email sure us. You can call us. All the normal things. But in the meantime, I really want to just thank you for starting your week with Make Me Smart. Hopefully... We did give you something to think about. We did make you smarter, hopefully made you smile a little bit. And in order to do this, we really need your support. It's a daily show, and it wouldn't be possible without your ongoing support. And if you donate any amount during our fundraising drive, you can choose a bonus gift. Uh, we have a thank you gift of five exclusive Marketplace ringtones. Oh, my God. I wonder what they are. <laughs> I know. It's right? like if you're someone who actually answers your phone as opposed to demanding everyone text you. <laughs> uh, and even if you are a text-only person, you can then enjoy oh the five exclusive Marketplace ringtones. <laughs> so whether oh, you, you want to... you your calling, maybe, Kimberly Adams. The five exclusive Marketplace ringtones. Five exclusive. So whether you want to announce a text from your boss with the Dark Place sting, which I know we haven't heard in a while, but we can bring it back for you, yeah. or uh, set the Make Me Smart theme as your ringtone we've got options for you and maybe this will replace the uh kill bill ringtone i've been sporting for so long <laughs> oh my god anyway support us in the public service journalism uh, that you have come to rely on please 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 we need your marketplace.org slash give smart also we will of course have that link in our show notes Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera, and today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. Bridget Bodner is in charge. Donna Tam's in charge of Bridget Bodner. That's what we got. Although I think Marissa was running the show today, all top to bottom. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. I don't yeah. know what Bridget's doing, but yeah. So Marissa's in charge. Donna yes. and Bridget probably weren't even around. Marissa's like in charge of all the things. All the things. Now I'm going to get a nasty slack. Hang on a minute. Here it comes. In three. Now she says that's two. right. Oh, boom. There you go.